What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Here's another Bob Huggins possession in the final seconds of Allen Fieldhouse. A chance for the Mountaineers to win the game, and they're not going to get a shot off. And normally, here's where we'd play the crash drop or something, but the soundboard might not exist anymore, so we're going to have to figure something out. Truly an end of an era. Ryan Landreth also doesn't exist anymore. It's just a two-man show today. That's true. That's true. I'm Landon Fields, one of those two men. And I'm Nick Weipert. And yeah, we're doing a, a two-man ITP. Somehow, my first two-man ITP of the season, uh, and it doesn't include Ryan, because I'm usually the one that's been gone on the two-man shows this year, but this is Inside the Paint. We've already said our names, so we're going backwards. KU gets a win against West Virginia. West Virginia continues to not get wins in Allen Fieldhouse. Let's talk about it. Number three, Kansas, 76, West Virginia, 74 the first half of this one very back and forth neither team led by more than five kansas took a 35 33 lead into the break the second half was characterized largely by the mountaineers constantly making the craziest wildest shots you have seen in order to stay in the game kansas looked like they had full control a couple of different times but then west virginia made a couple insane baskets kept it close nick what do you make of this performance kansas gets a a gritty win. We said they would get one gritty win out of these two home games. This might have been it. Yeah, I kind of feel like this is kind of going back for Kansas, maybe not skill set-wise and development-wise, but back to the beginning of conference play this year where they were playing these close draw uh, two-point, three-point finishes down to the last possession game as an Allen Fieldhouse. For a few months now, we've seen KU run the table at home, um, and pretty much you can hear the rock chunk chant at the end of the game. Uh, that's how comfortable it's been in Allen Fieldhouse for KU at the end of the game, maybe not at halftime or in the first half. Um, but certainly in this game, it felt like KU always had the advantage. It kind of felt like that TCU game where it felt like KU was always going to have the lead in this game. But at times, like you said, those circus shots from West Virginia and our favorite white guy, um, we're, we're just going in. And, and, and Kansas, to the, their benefit, played a great defensive game, uh, forced West Virginia to turn the ball over a lot. I think you look back at this game now and say a lot of those turnovers should have led to a, a bigger win for Kansas maybe uh, than the stat sheet actually indicated. So uh, maybe some missed opportunities, but you can't really complain uh, to getting another big, big, big win in conference play when, when your second place team now Texas loses in the same day. Now you're in full full control of your own destiny in the Big 12, uh, grinding out a win at home. It wasn't pretty at times, but like Bill Self does, and the Kansas, this Kansas team has done all season, is to find a way to win the game um, and put yourself in a position to be better than the day before. And I think they really did this, um, and we'll talk about a few key impact players throughout this podcast who really made that happen, including DeWan Harris. So it was all around a great team effort. Uh, might have been too close for comfort, but I think it was it was a great win. Yeah, and I would agree. And you mentioned the turnovers. West Virginia turned it over 21 times. And yeah, that usually is going to lead to a bigger win, but Kansas then turned it over 19 times themselves. Not the prettiest game from either team. Also, the fouls were not... Uh, man, the refs weren't good. We'll talk about them as well. Um, Surprise. 
So do you think Kansas winning games like this is indicative of anything or just indicative of playing in a tough conference? Because you, you referenced back to the beginning of conference play when they did win a lot of games like this against teams that are now nearer the bottom of the league. Do you think that really means anything for this Kansas team or do you think everyone is just relatively even and relatively good in the Big 12? I don't really know if it means anything in, in the big picture. I think fans like to say, man, all of these close games are just going to set them up for, for March success, which uh, to an extent I do believe that being in games like this and being in environments like this, teams that are competitive like this, it is going to help your stature when you have to play knockout games against very good teams five games in a row in March. I think that's definitely an indicator. But overall, I really just think this comes down to a little blend of this conference being really good and also um, Kansas. This team just finds a way to get it done. They're always in a position if they're not leading – to take position and take control of the game. And it starts with defensive possessions. You can go back into this game, Kevin McCuller getting that steal, literally ripping the ball out of a guy's hands and a potential layup that would have changed the outcome or at, at the time changed the, the trajectory of where the game was going. And big plays like that defensively have really anchored this Kansas team and all Bill Sub teams in the past as well um, to help them and put them in a position to win these games. I think they did a great job in this game. Uh, at times when Western Union was making shots, Kansas would come back and, and, and go to their bread and butter and find a way to score as well and keep pace. Uh, and I think that's a lot of college basketball right now is keeping yourself at an arm's length distance in these games uh, and, and, and avoiding the back and forth roller coaster type games we've seen um, throughout the rest of the conference. And I think KU's done a, a, a phenomenal job of making sure that from the beginning, beginning of the game, whether they're down 10 at halftime, you know, coming back against Baylor or leading the entire game to always in the final whistle, the final 10 seconds of the game to be in a position to either take a shot to win the game or, you know, win the game outright. Yeah, I definitely think that is a strength of this team. Obviously, you'd much rather them not be in those positions at all, but they have handled themselves really well when they've been down. I mean, TCU at home notwithstanding, of course. They've they've been really, really good in those spots, and we talked about this a little bit uh, a couple shows ago, I think, as Ryan mentioned, like, that's kind of Kansas's thing. They're always pretty good in those kind of spots, uh, give or take a couple of teams here and there. A team that is not good... Um, when leading by 10 or down by 10 is West Virginia in Allen Fieldhouse. Mm. They are 0-11 in the fog. They've led at halftime in five of those games, and they've led by double digits in six of them, and they are still 0-11. <laughs> Nick, what is your favorite Mountaineer loss in Allen Fieldhouse? Uh, I think it's it's a fan favorite. I think everyone's probably going to agree on this, but I think it's the 14-point deficit they overcame in four minutes. Um, just absolutely psychotic. Nathan Adrian losing the ball off of his feet out of bounds um, in the end of that game, and just everything going wrong for Bob Huggins and Allen Fieldhouse. Ryan talks about it a lot. That dude must uh, Bill Self and Allen Fieldhouse much must haunt his dreams. The <laughs> amount of times he's gone to that building and, and maybe gotten some some not so favorable calls from the refs. You know, in favor of Kansas, he's always seemed to 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 make jokes about KU getting the calls in Allen Fieldhouse against him or or just things turning the wrong direction. Um, and, and, man, that, that building is, is just something to, to six, six, 10 point deficits or more point deficits. And they've still been able to win all 11 of those games since West Virginia joined the conference. Psychotic, um, just a testament to the, the fans, a testament to the, the atmosphere there, but also a testament to, to, to Bob Huggins, just, uh, you know, teams just choking away in a couple of those instances. Yeah, I think that definitely is, is the obvious answer and is also my favorite. Uh, is that epic comeback 
Um, I think a couple ones that are close, though, are the 14-15 game, uh, where Kansas was also down quite a bit. It's remembered mostly for the Jamari trailer dunk in transition. Um, that was a great game. And then also the 17-18 team um, handled West Virginia when, when Doak had a, had a nice night. Um, so there's been several very memorable games. That's going to happen when, when you have a team that, you know, leads by double digits on the road and loses. Uh, you're going to have some memorable comebacks. Definitely the case here with West Virginia. Um, and I hope they don't stop. I really hope. I'm glad West Virginia isn't leaving the Big 12 because we get to see these games every so often. Now, now, you, now you just wonder how many more years Bob Huggins has left for him to get these losses. You think that you're starting to get down to the last few of them. I know, which is too bad because I've come all the way around on Huggins. I, I really like him now. I used not to. Um, but I have a ton of respect for Bob Huggins. Um, so I hope he stays around for a few more years. But I think you're probably right. You're, you're probably getting down to the last few, unfortunately. Um, Nick, tell me about Kansas's point guard. Uh, I can't say much, but what a game. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have to start talking about Dewan Harris a little bit more. Um, he was masterful in this game, like he's been masterful. You see the stats on ESPN. This team does not lose, I think, now 10-0 or 11-0, or sorry, 20-0 uh, when Dewan Harris scores 10 or more points. This Kansas team has been masterful in this game, like I said. 17 points, very efficient 7-for-9 on shooting. Wasn't afraid to shoot the three ball when he was open in this game, 2-for-3. Had six assists and six steals, and all six of those steals, I'm pretty sure, came in the first half, in like the first 10 minutes of the game. It was uh, pretty remarkable stuff. This dude, uh, I, if he was in a street, a downtown street in New York City, and he, he could probably make a career out of pickpocketing people. That's how good he is at getting the ball out of people's hands. Um, not to make a stereotype or anything there. If he, or, or <laughs> great, people great, go that direction. great start. <laughs> but uh, that's the anal- that's the analogy that came to my mind because this guy is very aware of where the ball is at. Uh, um, and always aware of, of the best moves in transition as well to get those assists. Dewan Harris is just a magician. Uh, you talk about previous Kansas players and you know those oops across court. The, Bill Self prides his teams on transition, and I think Dewan Harris really thrives in that role as well. Um, I, like I said, he was the best player in, for either team in this game. He's really heating up. There was that stretch after he, he the Kansas State game where he got hurt where it was kind of like Kevin McCuller earlier in conference play, just kind of wasn't there for three or so games. That has completely turned around. It's almost like the tides have shifted for some of these players. Now we're talking about Jalen Wilson kind of being off and Dewan Harris and Kevin McCuller kind of stepping up. But he has been great. For all the talk we had last year about him not being able to score and being a a uh, the, the in, immeasurable characteristics type player, he has completely changed that. He's changed the trajectory of what this team would look like before we came into this season, uh, particularly because I was so skeptical of what they would what they would be able to do with a Dewan Harris point guard of last year. He's a completely new and retransformed player because of his ability to shoot the ball now. Um, he's already always been a great player to getting assists and steals, but when you add that scoring option, defenses cannot give him that space like they have been, or he's going to make them pay. We saw that in this game. Kind of at the end of the game, got hurt, understood that, but kind of his points were distributed in the beginning of this game. Um, got quiet towards the end, but that makes sense because of the injury. But what do you think about the, the arc, the player arc? You look at Bill Self players. Bill Self greats, uh, great point guards. Frank Mason's arc was great. Marcus Garrett, maybe not your favorite player's arc was great. Devontae Graham, you talk about all those point guards. What what is what is Dewan Harris stack up against that when you believe his career is all said and done after coming back next year, presumably? Do you think he's going to have that arc of it as a point guard and a developed player under Bill Self similar to the ones that have come before him? Yeah, and I almost even put that question in the notes of where, where does he 
stack up with with the great point guards of the Bill Self era. And they truly have been great point guards, really from beginning to end of the Bill Self era. Um, I it's a tough question. He's I just don't know if he's going to be the top end scorer like Graham or Mason or like Collins could be. Um but my gosh, is he fantastic. I mean, it's just really tough because, again, the competition is just very, very good in that particular yeah. category. But he is he can compete with any of those guys, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, like I said, Mason and Graham can outscore him. Uh, Collins could outscore him. Those are probably your best three. It's an open competition after that, though, legitimately. like mm-hmm. I, I think he could genuinely be fourth. I, I don't but think I, that's unfair. What I think that, that really sets him apart from previous Kansas guards um, is just that it, it's so effortless for him. You talk about Devontae Graham's junior season. A lot of that getting Devontae Graham to where he was by his senior season was volume. Volume in shots, you mm-hmm. know, volume in, in plays. DeWanna Harris has been doing this with much, much little uh, maybe action, like specifically shooting. He wasn't even shooting the ball last year. It wasn't like he was just a Tyon Grant Foster type or he's just terrible shooter. He was not shooting. It, it was just part of his game that wasn't fully shown to us. And now that we've seen it for what it is, and he, he, he and Bill Self drilling into him, hey, you've got to shoot the ball to one. Uh, it's almost like he's just achieved this level of success in a different way than other guards in the past. Um, it just, I think, it just comes down to his skill, um, and he, he works hard. The effort's always there. Um, it just, it's just so many. Inta- we talk about the intangibles with him. So many characteristics of his game that are just so hard to to maybe look at a box score and understand, um, or understand from a national perspective. You know, guys like to look at point guards who who put twenty points up a game, um, and he's just not that player. But we're finally starting to see his scoring come to life. And uh, it, his game is just taking off. And I think that I'm excited to see next year what it's going to look like when some of these other players like Jalen Wilson aren't around and he's going to have more of a pressure to be that primary scorer. Um, and maybe that'll change the outlook of what we have on his overall career at Kansas. But so far, nothing to complain about for DeWan Harris. He's been fantastic. Another guy in this game who played super, super well, also had a cold stretch like I talked about earlier this year and has completely turned and changed the season around. Kevin McClure, uh, Landon, go ahead and talk about him. Yeah, I mean, he was really, really good on both ends. Played great defense all game long. Also had 16 points on 5 of 8 shooting. He was 2 of 4 from 3, 4 of 4 at the free throw line. And like we've been talking about, I mean, he he and Harris are both a lot closer to Marcus Garrett defensively um, than I thought a lot of people could be. And they're not that far off, especially when you have McCullough's size at the position and you're talking about the steals that he's getting. Obviously, Harris had 6 steals. I mean, they are getting to the point where they can just lock people down like Marcus Garrett could. Um, I think Marcus Garrett's still probably the better defender out of the three, but like I said, it's a lot closer than I thought I would ever say um, about mm-hmm. another defender. And yeah, like you said, he was he had a cold stretch um, kind of after that Texas Tech game, as we've talked about on the show at length at this point. Um, and he's he's been really, really freaking good the last handful of games, especially on defense. But also, if he's given you like 13 to 17 points a night. I mean, that's a winning mm-hmm. formula, 100%. Especially as we get down to March, when you have a guy that's that good on defense that can mm-hmm. also give you even just 10-plus. That's a huge weapon um, that this team has. And this is this is the most Bill Self player. Um, he's a guy that can score a little bit. Yeah. He defends a lot. He doesn't miss a lot of free throws. Um, very smart. 
uh, gets his teammates involved, knows his role pretty well. Um, just, you know, a player that could fit on any team in the country, really. Yeah, and even earlier in the season when we talked about this guy, when he was starting to score a lot and when he was starting to be a huge contributor on defense after that stretch, we almost said it was kind of quiet. Like He was just quietly getting 16 points a game, quietly being that second defensive player on this Kansas roster who is who just has the tenacity, the, the in-game IQ, um, the ability to make the best plays for to put the team in a position to succeed. And now it's not really even quiet anymore. He's kind of come to life. Um, I think he's becoming a fan favorite. People really just love his energy, his hustle, and that's back-to-back games where he's had a huge play defensively, stealing the ball out of a teammate's or uh, another player's hands, and completely just pushing in transition. Kansas having a complete look that wasn't there a, a split second before, so he's creating so many opportunities for this team as well, even beyond his offense. Which, for as much criticism as we gave him from the three-point line. Um, in this game, you know, having the courage to step up, he missed one early, having the courage to step up later in this game again and pull up and shoot another one and have it go in. Um, it just You talk about these guys, you talk about Jalen Wilson having a, a short-term memory. You know, the announcers, Fran Fischel likes to talk about it. These guys are not afraid, Grady Dick, not afraid to put up shots after missing them. Kevin McClure is the same way, um, just so mature mentally. Um, and I think this, that, that has gone a long way um, from where we were looking at this team in their three-game losing streak. Something else that definitely was not quiet in this game was the refs. Oh, man. They had to really bring our energy down to our <laughs> excitement level down to zero because, uh, yeah. I, I don't like talking about the refs very much. I think it, it's just an over-talked-about thing. But yeah, they were with KU fans. Yeah, very much so. Uh, they were terrible, though. They really were bad. Like, the worst thing a ref can do is take the energy out of a game, and that's exactly what happened at several port- points of this game. Yeah, I don't think it was. I didn't think they were bad just because they're you know typical bad. I really thought, and, and you know, there's always been this controversy of block charge calls. They just really make it when up. You should, they just decide. But it, whatever it's they literally want. made up now. Like there's no there's no consistency. It, even within this game, there was no consistency. What and what it was called. You know, you had uh, guys like Stevenson driving in, shoving you know push, pushing elbow into Kevin McCuller. And and calling that a defensive block foul, and then on the next possession, you know, you have Kevin McClure coming, you know, steamrolling through the paint, and they and they call that a a block, um, or they call that a charge. So I mean, like I said, there's no consistency. The the calls were terrible in this game, um, and really at pivotal moments in this game, the calls were. Were, were crucial and, and it hurts this Kansas team more than most teams because of the the bigs are typically the ones picking up the fouls because other teams are capitalizing on opportunities to you know get those driving lanes and head to the basket and usually one of those guys ends up get picking up a foul there so when you have Ernest Uday picking up two fouls quickly KJ Adams picking up two because the refs are calling these games so oddly um, it definitely hurts a team like Kansas more so than others um, and I, I, I think people get in too far in the semantics of it where you know they have like oh West Virginia shot 16 free throws and Kansas shot four the the regs the refs are rigging this game uh, and I don't think you have to look at it from that perspective I think that call by call uh, just specific calls really affect the the momentum and, and change the outlook of the game significantly um, and, 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 and people like to say refs don't have a, a huge say or so, um, but one call completely changes the outcome of a game just by the, the swings and momentums and runs we see in college basketball. So, uh, yeah, and, and you posted a nice little quote in, the, in the, the notes that said, I've rigged a lot of games in my life. This is the uh, one of the NBA refs, but I don't think I've ever officiated a game as bad as this one. I think you could say that for this game. 
Uh, you have any other comments on you know the how the state of officiating because it's pretty freaking bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, uh, I googled um, I've refed bad games meme um, just to see what would come up, and and this was one of them, and this I thought that was funny. Um, it's really bad. This is one of the the worst. I don't know if we're just becoming all just more like socially aware in sports culture of how bad refs are all at the same time. And that's what's making it feel worse because we're just more like hyper aware of of it being bad or if it genuinely is like worse. Um, I think we all knew it was bad, like in the NFL when they did the like substitute mm -hmm. refs. Obviously, that was a train wreck. Um, But yeah, I just feel like it's just getting consistently worse. Not that it's ever been awesome. But I think it's in college noticeable. basketball, college basketball, it's almost worse than the other leagues, too, because you're already talking about a product that's kind of trending towards why am I watching this when you see the 56 to 53 games? And then you look to the National Basketball Association and there's 176 to 173 games. And maybe the, the, the refing, the poor officiating that maybe is affecting how the game is played isn't so bad as it is in college basketball when the pace is already pretty slow and you're spending 50 50 shots at the free throw line combined between both teams and slowing the pace of the game, putting a two hour game into a two and a half hour window. Um, maybe that's not so good for the product, even beyond the my team is getting hosed type of uh, viewpoint on the game. Yeah, I would argue it's horrible for the product. Um, and we'll see if it gets better. I, I have my doubts. Um, but it's you the NCAA. Know. If you think anything's, it, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, so you probably just have it's to true. accept that. Just hope that the officiating becomes a little bit more consistent. They redefine what a block charge is in a cult, a, a block foul is and a charge foul is, um, because it's atrocious. There's obviously no discernment on what that looks like or uh, uh, guidance from head officiating uh, from the top down to the bottom on how that should be called. It's, it's bad. I think we've talked enough about this. But um, uh, something else, another guy who hasn't been great um, as of late is Jalen Wilson. Um, in his last six games, he scored 20-plus just one time after that huge stretch where he scored like 100-plus points in five games. Um, he's just shooting 37%. He's 27 for 73 uh, from the floor, 4 for 18 from three. That's a cold, measly 22%. Uh, you, you do have to factor in KU has won all six of these games, uh, but Wilson just hasn't been quite the star we've come to expect over much of the season, you know, getting that National Player of the Year hype. Uh, in this game, the stat line read 11 points, 6 rebounds, 4 for 9 shooting. Did have 3 for 6 from the line. Uh, for most players, this would be perfectly fine. Um, but earlier on and in, in coming into this game, knowing the expectations that Jalen Wilson has to anchor this team and put this team in a position to, to maybe compete in March, uh, it's not the it's not the area that Jalen Wilson really needs to be in, especially this late in the season. Um, our, our, expecta- our expectations are a little bit too high at this point, though. Yeah, I go back and forth with that a little bit because on one hand, I think, like, yes to a degree, right? Because they're 6-0 and in the six games that he has, quote-unquote, struggled. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this game, even, yeah, he was a, he had 11 points, 6 rebounds, and 4 of 9 shooting. For 90% of players in college basketball, I mean, heck, 97% of players in college basketball, that's a solid night at the office. Like, that's just a, that's a good game he just had in college basketball. 3 of 6 from the line, notwithstanding. But Jalen Wilson, as we talked, you know, he's averaged 21 and 8 for large stretches of the season. I mean, he's been a superstar. He's been kind of unanimously considered one of the two or be- or three best players in America. Um, Zach Eadie's really been the only player that's been consistently better than him 
uh, all season. So, on one hand, I think, yes, uh, it's a bit of an overreaction to think that he's actually struggling or actually not playing well. Um, His efficiency is bad, though. Uh, That is a genuine concern that I do have. Um, Because, again, in March, you're talking about one-game sample sizes. And if he has a one-game sample size where he's 4 of 13 from the floor with 10 points on 2 of 3 from the free throw line and 0 of 4 from 3, like, that's not a game I'm going to feel super comfortable about, probably. You know, you hope that's your 16 Mm. seed or you hope that's your 8 seed or whatever. But, you know, those are the kind of nights where you very well could lose. And where this team lately has gotten better production from their other four starters, uh, but you don't have a Remy Martin to come off the bench and save you like last year's team did in those spots where they were struggling early kind of offensively and he picked them up, um, scored a lot of points, and and won them a couple of games. Do you think that's actually going to affect Kansas, Nick, that Jalen Wilson is playing this, or do you think this is just... Um, more of an efficiency issue like we thought Jalen Wilson would have rather than him actually struggling in any capacity. Yeah, I talked about a little bit earlier how, you know, Jalen Wilson maybe has taken a little bit of a, uh, at least a regression or a step back and guys like Dewan Harris and Kevin McClure have picked up the slack a little bit. I am, cons- the one thing I am concerned about is if this persists and guys like Dewan Harris or Kevin McCuller do play poorly like they did in a couple of stretches earlier this season, what that would look like in the outlook of this team. You know, we've never really seen all two or three of these guys play poor games at the same time. I think Kansas has kind of been, I don't know if it's lucky or just guys stepping up at the right time for these guys to, to step up and, and not and to pull each other's weight and not have bad games at the same time. I think we kind of saw that against Iowa State. Um, but outside of that, I think that this team has done a really good job of managing those expectations. I think for Jalen Wilson, the biggest thing that concerns me with Wilson is maybe kind of the, the thorn in, my, in his side earlier this season, kind of the shot selection. We kind of brushed that off just because the volume needed to be there because he was scoring all the team's points. Now I just feel like some of the shots he's taken just really aren't the best looks for him, especially trying to get off the schneid and, and get a consistent scoring uh, stretch going for him. Um, just some of these you know, layups or contested shots, uh, mid-range shots, have, have just been not the best looks we've seen from him, not his bread and butter. His bread and the butter is getting to the basket and getting downhill and putting in the cup. Um, so I think that he needs to do a better job of that, and I think he, there's going to be more opportunities. Bill Self surely will drop better plays for him to get him back in to the place he did, exactly what he did with the Juan Harris and Kevin McClure to get them back in the minds that they needed to be in. Um, but overall, I, I'm not super concerned about this. He's proven himself this season that he's a dog, and uh, I, I think that he's going to get back to where he's at. I'm glad that he's having this rough stretch now and not in the NCAA tournament, but let's hope that the that his favor turns around pretty quickly. Yeah, and I do think it's important to remember uh, KU has won these games, six games in a row, um, and that's as many as you need to win the NCAA tournament. And these six games are arguably, and not even really arguably, I mean, they are tougher than a six-game stretch you'll need to win the NCAA tournament, or at least as tough. I mean, a, a team like Texas, that's absolutely a Final Four caliber team. Um, everyone else is, you know, as much as, you know, you might want to crap on Oklahoma, I mean, they're better than a 16 seed. Um, so this is this is still, you know, a, a very difficult stretch they've had where Wilson has been just kind of not as good. Baylor, you know, another team that absolutely could be a Final Four caliber team, or at least an Elite Eight caliber team. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, ultimately, I'm also not super worried, but 
at least is more of a question mark than I thought it was going to be if you ask me this on, like, January 3rd. Um, let's talk about another guy here who has been really good and had a really good game against West Virginia. K.J. Adams, he was really solid. 13 points, 6 boards, 5 assists to no turnovers, also 2 steals. We've had a lot of debate uh, about the bigs this season. Ernest Uday didn't do a whole lot in this particular game while KJ was very productive. Are you confident with KJ going forward? We've talked a decent amount about March in this show already, um, and it's getting there. We are right about on the doorstep of March. That means Big 12 tournament. That means NCAA tournament. Do you think KJ Adams can give KU what give KU what they need uh, to to win a lot of games in this next month? I do. I think that he has a lot of, of the characteristics and skills that it is going to take for this Kansas team. I, I've been hesitant in the past to really say that he's a type of big that I think can can get Kansas in the position. I think obviously the big situation is probably the weakest part of this roster right now. But with the recent developments of what Uday's been able to do coming off the bench, I think that's really helped KJ, honestly. Um, there's less of a, a pressure on him, uh, and there's more of an opportunity for him to get in the game um, and, and just do what he does best, and, he, and he's great around the rim. Um, he's great in transition. One of those bigs that you know just really you can trust uh, getting across the floor in those half in those half court situations. Um, but I think that he's he's been great in this. He was great in this game, like you said, a perfect stat line for him. Um, what you'd expect from him, and I think that going forward, I think the confidence is just going to get a little bit higher. Uh, I think what we've been a little bit worried about is there's been some games where he hasn't been very present in the game. And maybe Ernest Uday coming off in in off the bench has been more of a lift for Kansas, particularly you know offensively. Um, and I do think that finishing around the rim is something that could he could work on a little bit. Um, or I think what Ernest does really well is just everything's a dunk and high percentage, high volume, which KJ for the most part this season has been very high value and and, and uh, good shot making in the in the paint. So I am not concerned about KJ Adams. I think he's going to be very huge on this team's success in March. He goes as far as this team takes them, so, yeah. Obviously, I think it'd be great if Ernest Uday could give you really consistent minutes and really consistent scoring, even if it was just, you know, four to six points a night. That'd be huge for this team in a month. But at the same time, I think you do run into the problem, and I think Ryan has been correct on this. Um, I have to say it while he's not on the show, because I I can't let him have the satisfaction, truly, uh, (laughs) otherwise. Uh, I do think he's been right that if KU plays a team with with size that can that is greater than theirs, especially in the post, that is where KJ is most vulnerable. If they play a really stout defensive five, that is going to potentially be a problem for KJ. I think as long as you can play a game that's fast, play a game that's up and down and fluid, I think KJ has a really good chance to be really good and everything this team needs, at least for this season. We don't have the sound, unfortunately. I guess I could find Mario music, but I'm too lazy. So, Ryan, either put it in here uh, in post or or whatever. We're not going to play the Mario music. But imagine Mario music if it's not playing right now. White guy of the game time. And uh, pretty much a no-doubter, Nick, I think. Eric Stevenson earned his stripes in this one. He led West Virginia in scoring at 23. Only 2 of 7 from 3, but both those 3s were massive. 9 of 22 from the field also, which isn't super great. But how many times did he make massive shots that kept the Mountaineers in the game? Very annoying performance from him. Glad it didn't result in a win for West Virginia, but uh, a very white guy of the game uh, stat line for Eric Stevenson. 
you knew it was coming, especially after he did nothing against KU in Morgantown. Uh, so you knew at least one of these games he was gonna his dork his dork bot was gonna show up and he was gonna make uh, pretty much every circus shot under the sun. Which, for West Virginia's credit, the entire team was doing that in the second half. It's true. Some of those shots were just straight up ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I, what was funny to me um, for him was that when he made that three, he fell on the ground and hurt his ankle or hamstring or something celebrating. Um, so yeah, uh, clumsy white guy of the game too, Eric Stevenson. But another white guy who made big shots in this game, Grady Dick, uh, 16 points, 5 for 8 from 3. He took two shots inside the arc and missed both, uh, added six rebounds as well. And and what do we make of, of Dick shooting the ball? I know, Landon, you've been a little bit skeptical lately of his ability to make baskets and make threes. Um, what do you feel like after this game is over? Where is he going? What does he look like? Yeah, every time I actually start to have genuine questions about his shooting ability, he makes like four of six or five of eight or whatever, Um, which lends me just to think that he is just kind of a streaky shooter, very high ceiling, lower floor than you'd like. I think that might just be the unfortunate reality, but of course, he has a very high ceiling shooting the ball, so yeah, you're going to have to take your chances. It hasn't cost Kansas anything yet this season. We haven't seen him have a 1-for-11 game where he's just been awful and um, it's cost Kansas a win or something. So, yeah, keep shooting the ball, man. Um, he definitely he doesn't need my permission, obviously, to, to do that. Uh, he was I'm pretty sure he was going to take a solid five threes a game no matter what. Um, and that'll be great. I think that is definitely a recipe Kansas is going to want to use to win games is great at shooting the ball. And you want him to stay confident, and you want him to shoot, because he is very capable of making five, six, seven threes in a given game. Um, and, and that is a huge weapon that a lot of teams don't have, at least not at that level, um, come March. That's, that's something that can absolutely win you big games, win you big 12s, win you big 12 tournaments. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's got to keep shooting. I'm still pretty confident in Grady Dick. I never disliked him as a player, that's for sure. Um, just been a little bit frustrated with his lack of output at times because he should be a guy that should be this elite shooter and similarly with Jalen Wilson having a quote-unquote slump in quotes um Grady Dick is still shooting like in the mid to high 30s in conference play like that's not not exactly bad it's just that our expectations were that he would be like a 43 percent shooter in conference play so no he's he's still gonna be just fine um and a great performance from him a lot of big shots. Definitely good to see him get hot again from three. Something else we'd like to see get hot again, the bench. It is not solved, folks. The Jayhawks really only used six players in this game. Joe Yesfu being the only one to play meaningful minutes off the bench, and he went one of five, one of three from three for three points. Ernest Uday and Bobby Pettiford turned it over and fouled a few times in three and four minutes each. MJ Rice did nothing in two minutes. Uh, obviously, Nick, it's looking more and more like Kansas is going to at least win a share of the Big 12, very likely. We'll talk about that more. They're one home win away from a 5-11 and Big 12 team from clinching a share of the Big 12 title. Um, so it's not going to cost them there. But is this bench going to cost them a chance um, at a bigger prize? Um, I, I think that there's a possibility of that. You definitely have concerns about depth, especially if guys are getting hurt. Like, it seems like this is been a uh, just a war zone for some of these guys. You know, Dewan Harris getting hurt in the last game. Um, Kevin McCorder has been banged up a few times in the past few games. So I think there's a cons- genuine concern there. 
if the uh, injuries continue, what the bench situation will look like. Joe Yesfu has been horrible. Uh, Bobby Pettiford hasn't done anything meaningful as well. So the guards are a huge concern when DeWana Harris is not in the game. Definitely very concerned on what this offense and defense looks like without DeWana Harris in the mix. Um, big situation. I'm not worried about Ernest Uday yet. I think he's going to, to be doing what he does best, provide high-energy minutes, uh, high-efficiency scoring, um, and I think that maybe that's going to continue. Uh, Zach Clements not playing at all. That's kind of concerning, but, I mean, what are you going to do about it? Obviously, no Cam Martin at this point. And, uh, yeah, I think that the bench is definitely a concern. I think everyone has every right to be concerned, especially with the team that lacks the depth um, that many Kansas teams in the past have had. But, I mean, you look at last year's team, they really didn't have a ton of depth either um, outside of a couple of key role players. But, I mean, yeah, it's, it's probably going to be a concern at some point. But right now, Kansas has been able to win games with that primary five starting lineup, and uh, I think it's going to continue for as long as I see it happen. Yeah, and, and so last year's Kansas team, though, they, they played seven guys, uh, which is definitely not a ton. Uh, that's relatively normal for a, a NCAA tournament team for Bill, is, is about seven. But the thing is with those guys, though, is everybody had a very specific role. Everyone was really good at that specific role, um, and everybody could score at least some, or if you were Mitch Lightfoot. But even Mitch Lightfoot could score by the end of the year. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that right hook was deadly for him legitimately um, last season. He was very good at that. This year, the thing is, is they're also at this point pretty much playing seven with with uh, or seven slash eight ish kind of um, with with Yesifu, Uday and Pettiford really the only bench th- three bench pieces that contribute. And you have games like this where, you know, one or two of them come in and play like literally three minutes and, and don't come back. And they don't do much when they're out there is the problem like and this team, unlike last year's um We've seen, now hopefully, a lot of these guys are not playing this way currently, but we've seen a lot of these guys go into little slumps here and there, and it has hurt them at times. Certainly, Kansas still won a lot of games, but you've definitely seen the quality of play go down, definitely during the losing streak. Um, that was a huge problem, is that it really was just Jalen Wilson scoring and not a lot else, and mm-hmm. so that, that does worry me against really good teams, um, but also Kansas' starting five has played really, really well since that losing streak and if that's the case then I think yeah this team is clearly still a very good team one of the best teams in the country I think they've reestablished themselves as um, but a lack of bench is definitely concerning you definitely want a guy that can at least come in and give the threat of scoring um, and I guess Joe Yesifu can give the threat of scoring but he's he's inconsistent at best in actually doing it but I don't know also, this, this team starting five is as good as any starting five in recent memory for, for Kansas, quite honestly. Uh, it's just that they don't really have the reserves to truly back them up. But I don't know. I, I, I don't know what all that really means at the end for Kansas. Um, it's getting to a weird point in the year where it's tough to talk about potential because there's only so much potential left. There's only, you know, even if KU plays every game they could, they'd have 11 games left um, or something like that. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, it does it does worry me, but at the at the end of the day, the five that they do play, if they're all hitting, it's a very 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 tough Kansas team to beat. Um, especially given the fact that um, a lot of the teams we thought were going to be Kansas's top competitors, the teams that we maybe thought really could beat Kansas, the Alabamas, the Purdue's, 
they look a lot more vulnerable now than they did um, not too long ago. So I, I continue to be more confident there. Uh, the final numbers here, 55% from the floor for Kansas, 50% from three, 59% from the free throw line. Nick, any other points here on this win? The Jayhawks, they have to grind it out. Not a super pretty win, but a two-point win at home against a conference foe you will take every day, and it gets the Jayhawks one win away from clinching another Big 12 title. Yeah, Ryan said that either one one of these two final home games against Western and Texas Tech were going to come down to the wire. I believe that's the game that that's going to happen. I think, uh, not to preview my prediction, but I think that the next game is going to be a little bit more comfortable for KU. Um, but yeah, this is the Big 12. You expect these grinded out type of games. And uh, Kansas so far find, found a way to win uh, and be in a good position to win these games. And uh, it's serving them well. And like you said, a game away from locking up at least a share of the conference title, and a, the Big 12 has never been better. Um, so what a job Bill Self's done with this squad, and uh, we'll have to see what it looks like uh, if they can clinch it outright. Big 12 games. There were there were Big 12 games that happened. Some of them were pretty interesting. A couple of them were not. This was probably the least interesting one. Oklahoma, 61, number 23, Iowa State. 50 on the last show you and i nick we said iowa state was probably about the sixth best team they did not look like it in this one tell me about it yeah iowa state continues to careen off the tracks kind of like this podcast in season 10 uh they lost their third straight conference game and they've lost five of six now the cyclones have they have not won back-to-back games since january 10th they're three and seven in their last 10 games uh in this game jacob grove scored 16 points for the sooners who did trail 3-14 to 14 at one point um, in the first half. Cam Lippelt texted me and said his bet that Iowa State was going to cover a 7.5 point, point spread in this game was a lock. And then the rest of the first half and the second half happened. Iowa State shot just 31% from the field. Now five straight games the Cyclones haven't scored at least 60 points. Are they really a tournament team? I saw an article that said they were a lock. Are they really a tournament team? Iowa State? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, they're going to be. Whether or not they're actually super good, I, I think, once again, I will I will say Ryan was correct while he's not here. Um, they're definitely showing their lack of talent as of late. They're going to make it. I mean, it'd be really tough to go from the 23rd overall team. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's the AP, but it's still at least an okay indicator. It'd be really tough to go from a top 25 team to not in the tournament. Um, so I think they're going to make it, but they're certainly not like impressive going in. That's definitely the case. Number 24, TCU 83, Texas Tech 82. I guess I'll take this one with the game seemingly in hand and leading by 12 points with under eight minutes to play. Texas Tech stormed back. I should say TCU had the game seemingly in hand. Texas Tech, they stormed back to take the lead, but a late foul and a couple of free throws put the Horn Frogs back ahead in the end. The loss ended a four-game Texas Tech Conference winning streak after losing uh, the first nine or ten. I can't remember exactly, but a lot, ten. a lot. Uh, Mike Miles returned to regular form, scoring 24 points on eight of 16 shooting. Uh, is Texas Tech on the outside looking in, and do they need a win this week in the tournament to secure an at-large bid? All right, that'd be next week, but yes. Do, would they need a Big 12 tournament win? I do. I believe they need to win the first 
first Wednesday night, I think they need to win that game. And I think they need to win one of their final two games. They're not going to be an easy task. They're not probably not going to win against Kansas. So you're looking at their schedule. And uh, I I don't see them winning uh, to, to end the conference slate. So you're going to just hope for a prayer that other teams start losing. I guess the Oklahoma State game at home is, there, is a good shot. You're talking about a team who really needs – or really has fallen off the tracks just like Iowa State has. Oklahoma State's been pitiful. But I, I, that's, I think that's your best, most likely chance to win a game. And then you go in the conference tournament and you're going to be playing one of these teams, uh, whether it's West Virginia, whether it's you know Oklahoma, who knows yet. Um, but yeah, I think that this, they're definitely going to have two great shots to win a couple more games. And I think that maybe, just maybe, that puts them on the inside final four in. I think currently ESPN, Joe Lenardi has them on the uh, next four outline. Um, but a lot of games left to be played until we uh, reach Selection Sunday. So, Yeah, definitely so so wild that we're still talking about the ninth team in the Big 12 yeah. um, With 13 as losses. a bubble team. Like, just absurdity. Um, but that's the case, and I think they do have a genuine shot. If they can beat Oklahoma State um, and then win one and maybe get a second upset win in the Big 12, depending on who you play, um, they would they would be right there. Uh, especially if they get that second one in the Big 12 tournament, I think that would get them really close. Mm-hmm. Um, a game that had huge implications for Kansas and came up looking all Jayhawks in the end. Number nine, Baylor 81. Number eight, Texas 72. A win that does also get Kansas uh, one win away from at least a share of the Big 12 title. Nick, tell me about the Bears taking down the Longhorns. Yeah, after trailing 18-4 to nearing the first 10 minutes of play, Baylor stormed back to up in Texas, giving Kansas, like you said, the lone spot at the top of the conference. Uh, Jalen Bridges and Adam Flagler anchored the comeback and scoring for the Bears with 17 and 14 points, respectively. Uh, Keontae George went out of the game early with an apparent ankle injury. Uh, despite the loss, uh, Dylan DeSue of Texas went off for 24 points, 10 for 15. He's been playing really well. Um, you know, you, you, at this point, you figure Texas was due to take a loss. They played a, a very, uh, just by the chin of their, the hair on their chin, they barely beat Oklahoma uh, in the game before last. Uh, so they were playing with a little bit of fire. You know, you kind of expected with the way this Big 12 schedule usually plays out with Kansas and, and a team challenging them for the conference title. Texas ended up losing like we expected. They've got a tough one coming up against TCU. Um, do you, At this point, do you think Kansas is going to win the conference outright? If you had to, to, to throw, a, bullet at, or throw a, a dart at the dartboard, do you think Kansas is going to win this conference outright? I kind of do is the thing. I kind of think they're winning in Austin. Uh, that's obviously pending a game in between there, but I, I kind of do think they're going to win in Austin and win the big 12 outright. That's, I mean, Texas is still really good and, and going down there and winning would be tough, but I think they have a, a good shot to do it. Um, which would be the ultimate, like, I mean, Kansas gets those kind of wins all the time. We thought it was the TCU game was their road road game. That was, they were the, you know, the sexy upset pick was TCU. Um, and, and KU went and took care of business down there. I think they could do the same thing in Austin and and do it again. Uh, I wish I had a certain EDM song, um, but I do not. Currently, I'm not going to worry about playing it. But number 14, K-State, sandstorming it up in our hearts, in our minds. Uh, 73, Oklahoma State, 68. The Wildcats secure another solid win after overcoming a first-half deficit in Stillwater. 
Marquise Noel led K-State with 22 points, while Khalid Boone had a team-leading 18 for the Cowboys. Oklahoma State now on a four-game losing streak that started against Kansas. Is Oklahoma State on the outside looking in, and what do they need to do to get in? I uh, I certainly believe that this team has uh, with it with a couple of the stretch of losses. You know they beginning they lose to Kansas at that point they only have nine losses now they have thirteen they're starting to pile up and I and like you said are we really talking about Big Twelve teams with thirteen losses making the big dance you know the, there's got to be some wins here and I think they're going to desperately need to win the game against. Texas Tech at home so that's that's going to be a or Texas Tech on the road that's definitely going to be a huge game for both those teams playoff or tournament implications they play at home versus Baylor uh, coming up tomorrow night that's probably going to be a tough one to win it may be a statement win. you win that one and maybe steal one at Texas Tech or in the Big 12 tournament and you're in I don't know what that really looks like from the committee's standpoint but you know you're talking about now Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, I think they're in. You're kind of looking at these teams just barely in or on the outside looking in for their conference hopes, and uh, they're running out of time to get conference wins. So, Yeah, I think Oklahoma State has a better chance being 7-9 and nine in the league than Texas Tech and West Virginia do, 5-11. Uh, and 11. Uh, But then again, with two games to go and the Big 12 tournament, that could flip fairly fast, especially with the current form Oklahoma State's been in losing four in a row now, that's obviously a very bad situation to be in at this time of the year. I would say in general, you're probably going to want to pick two of the three. I don't think you're getting nine. I think I think eight is probably the safe bet. And there's a chance you only get seven, but I, I think it probably is eight, not nine. Yeah, I would agree with that. Big 12 standings should be easier to read this this week with two people, but you never know. It'd be weird if one of us forgot whose turn it was. Number one, Kansas, all alone, number one, Kansas. They are 12-4 and four back in the lead of the Big 12. A clear number two this week, Texas, second place, 11-5 and five in conference. We do have a tie at third. That's K-State and Baylor. They are 10-6. and six. And uh, another log jam in fifth place, Iowa State, TCU, both a even 500 and 8-8. Eight and eight. Seventh, all alone, Oklahoma State. They are 7-9. and nine. In eighth, uh, Texas Tech, West Virginia, five and eleven. All alone in last. I don't know why Ryan quite had faith in them to begin with, but as Oklahoma, they are four and twelve. Let's go on to other games. In arguably one of the greatest comebacks ever, certainly one of the better comebacks in recent memory. Iowa defeats Michigan State 112-106 in overtime. They were trailing 91-78 to the Spartans with just 94 seconds left in regulation. Iowa made six threes and tied it at 101, eventually pulling away in overtime. I did not have the pleasure of actually watching this game. I saw the highlights. What an insane win for Iowa. I mean, I, I learned what was new to me watching the highlights from this game. I didn't know Fran McCaffrey had two sons that played on his team. So that is, you talk about a white brigade. I don't think you can talk <laughs> about Kansas. You've got to, Grady Dick is irrelevant when you talk about teams with white shooters. Cause you look at Fran McCaffrey's sons. Jeez, that is a nightmare matchup. Did you NCAA see Fran McCaffrey too. stare down the ref? Yeah, I saw that. That is a weirdo. You talk about some weird coaches, man. <laughs> that guy is always the weirdest guy. 
uh, see on the sidelines. Apparently, got a technical before that. That's yeah, why yeah, that's why they were uh, a little angry um, at each other. But yeah, still very, very strange. odd. Um, in the Big East, though, number eighteen, UConn, seems like they're finally putting things together again. Uh, very confusing resume, though. Some bad losses, some good losses, some blowout wins. They beat St. John's ninety-five to eighty-six. Kyle Neptude's Villanova Wildcats held serve at home. They beat number nineteen Creighton seventy-nine to sixty-seven. Uh, number 10, Marquette narrowly avoided an upset. Two to Paul after giving up 56 points in the second half. They clinched at least a share of the Big East regular season title with a 15-3 and record. That is a very good Shaka Smart team. Kind of crazy to see a Shaka Smart team winning it this late in the season. Usually, if he was at Texas, this is where things would be falling off the rails, but uh, seems to be different at Marquette. Yeah, he's got a good squad up there. Um, in the SEC, following the controversy, Alabama came back in... Uh, yet another game this week, going on to beat Arkansas 86-83 after trailing by nine at halftime. Um, man, you said there weren't going to be uh, any 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 uh, <laughs> minds in this notes, but there kind of is one. As he's, I'm going to read it. I'm going to do it. Must have been the wrong place at the wrong time for the Razorbacks. Uh, I included that one. In the simple notes. simple pat down might have solved some issues, but uh, not so much. Hey, uh, what I read just in ESPN just before this show is that. Uh, Apparently, Alabama had a tradition where uh, an assistant coach would pat down Brandon Miller before the game, and um, I don't know if it was a, a joke about the the situation, but uh, Nate Oates said that it won't happen again. So yeah, I would imagine um, it shouldn't. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm pretty sure Brandon Miller's going to get some choice words from opposing fans uh, throughout the rest of the season, kind of like you know the Jalen Wilson DUI chance in Manhattan. Probably a lot of lock him up chance. Um, I promise, Which, guys, this isn't a political podcast. Um, different lock him up uh, or lock her up. Um, but, uh, oh, gosh. Yeah. No comment. No comment at all. <laughs> Stay silent. Go ahead and read about the rest of the SEC. Be nice man. to people. Uh, number 11, Tennessee spanked the same South Carolina team that Alabama struggled with earlier this week. They won 85-45. It's good. I don't mind Tennessee giving up less than 50 just so long as they score more than 60 in the same game. <laughs> uh, Kentucky continues their surge. After walloping Auburn 86-54, and number 25, Texas A&M, was upset at Mississippi State 69-nice to 92 or 62? You wrote 92. 92 is a blowout. Oh, okay. Uh, Interesting choice to put the higher score second, but we're going to live with that. (laughs) Uh, Alabama has clinched at least a share of the SEC with a conference win uh, or the conference record of 15-1. Texas A&M is two games back at 13-3. Yeah, moving on to the Big Ten, uh, number five, Purdue continues their slide with a 79-71 to home loss to number 17, Indiana, the other ranked team in the league. Number 21, Northwestern, got turtled in College Park, losing to Maryland by 16. Hey, I get it. I get what you did there. <laughs> uh, in the nobody-cares-about-this-garbage-league-ACC, North Carolina finally secured its first quad one win in its 10th try. Everyone give it up. For the Tar Heels, uh, <laughs> beating this, let's go. Beating the worst top ten team in America, number six Virginia, seventy-one to sixty-three. Number thirteen Miami lost in an insane way. They lost on a thirty-foot game-winning three from Matthew Cleveland of Florida State, right at the buzzer. Pittsburgh now sits alone, uh, or sits half a game up in the conference, fourteen and four. Yeah, the ACC sucks, man. It's so bad. It's so garbage. Uh, speaking of another uh, buzzer beater up uh, upset win, a few number seven Arizona lost one. This time a 53 footer from behind half court. 
launch from Desmond Cambridge Jr. to send the Sun Devils over the Wildcats in Tempe. A crazy shot. Um, it's good to see other guys other than Remy Martin making huge shots there. I know, right? Uh, and not against Kansas, which is also good. Uh, number 12, Gonzaga. They took down number 15, St. Mary's, in Spokane to draw. Uh, even with the Gales in the WCC at 14-2. and two. Uh, Good for those teams for beating a bunch of grocery sackers, car wash attendants, bankers, office temps, you know, such and on, or so on and so forth. Uh, Ryan, uh, Nick has also posted a picture of a younger Ryan uh, looking very kind of Ryan Howardy from the office uh, to get that office temp vibe going. Uh, those are what most WCC players look like. Can't argue with that. Very white, very homeschooled, and <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, hey. just what you'd expect. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't say too much about the homeschool stuff. Uh, but go ahead, we'll talk about ranks, te- ranked teams to lose. Uh, number five, Purdue leads us off. They lost to in-state rival Indiana, and then number six, Virginia. They lost to North Carolina. Number seven, Arizona lost on a fifty-three foot shot to Arizona State. Number eight, Texas. They lost to the Baylor Bears. Number 13, Miami lost on a 34-foot shot to Florida State. Number 15, St. Mary's in the most predictable loss uh, a lot of people could see coming. They lost to Gonzaga. Number 19, Creighton lost to a uh, Jay Wrightless Villanova team. Number 23, Iowa State. They lost to Oklahoma. And number 25, Texas A&M lost to MISSIPPI State. Uh, last week in Pick'em, Ryan and Nick, they both go 5-5. Five and five. I, a little pat on the back, a little dust off the front of the shirt, go 8-2. and two. <laughs> That arrogance definitely will not come back to bite me. Ask RCB. So we did a little twist on Ask RCB this week, or this show. Um, we did it, you know, we just put out the tweet as normal. Uh, with one request, uh, or one demand, I should say, we're not answering basketball Demand. questions. Some of you really towed the line, um, which, you know what, I'm nice enough. I'm going to answer them. I'm still going to answer them, but do better next time. Um, so let's see what we got here. Nick doesn't have access to Twitter, so uh, I'm going to have to read all these. From at Ryan underscore Landreth. Hey, I know that guy. Uh, he has three separate little questions here. He says, one, do you miss me? Kind of, but not not as much as you think. I think this show is flows a lot faster without Ryan's quips in it. So that's true. Uh, his monologues are better than ours, though. That's true. Uh, if Nick had to get a tattoo of a celebrity's face, who would it be? You have to gun to your head. Uh, probably Jessica Alba. It's fair. That would be that'd be fine. She'd look a lot worse, probably on your arm or uh, anywhere else hey, you might put it. Then you know, uh, Sal Volcano from but... Impractical Jokers has a young uh, young. Uh, Jalen uh, Smith, Jaden Smith tattoo on his thigh, so it couldn't be worse than that. <laughs> and then, who is the best charity softball player of the three podcast hosts? Yeah, for those that don't know, uh, we all play in a charity softball event that Ryan puts on. Uh, super cool event. Uh, check it out or follow his Twitter to check it out uh, if you can. It's neat. And we all play in it. Who do you think is the best out of the three of us, Nick? Well, considering both of us play in the outfield, which in charity softball is you're not good enough to play. I guess hey, you didn't hey, play I've, in the outfield I've played, this year. I've played some you infield. You played first base this year. Uh, but typically we're pushed into the outfield, which is where uh, typical charity softball players, that's where you put the worst players in the outfield because it's the less significant part of the field. Um, so I would probably say, especially Ryan playing all three games and sacrificing his body last year 
getting hurt. Uh, I would, I think we have to give it to Ryan. You know, as much as I'd like to say not when he's not on the show, um, you know, he tries hard. He uh, really takes it seriously, and I think that um, he certainly hasn't stormed off the field in any of the games. So yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know why you'd even bring that up. I don't know if that's ever happened to any of us. Definitely not me. That's for sure. I definitely have never done that. Not even oh, once. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, it's definitely Ryan or I. Sorry, man. Um, it's Ryan from Outlaw Two Four Four Eight. Uh, a few questions from them. Uh, number one, cake or pie? I would go with cake. Here's the problem with pie. I don't like fruits and desserts. Huh. And what a, pie, what a like, you talk take. about most. You talk about most of pies are like apple or cherry or, you know, if you give me a good chocolate or pumpkin pie, I am perfectly okay with that. But any day of the week, you give me a nice, moist vanilla cake. Yeah, you would the, like vanilla, With the perfect cream cheese frosting. Yeah, I'm not a, vanilla, not an interesting but, flavor. Uh, vanilla, <laughs> vanilla cake though, man. You get vanilla cake, or you get that kind of like lemon cake. Lemon cake, chocolate is good. cake's good too. There's so many variations of cake that just are just great, and there's so many not so good pies. Landon, what do you think? Um, I think that a lot of cake is really overrated, and most pies are pretty good. Um, uh, my mom makes a really good triple chocolate bundt cake that I would kill people for. Um, otherwise, uh, pie, I think is the answer. Uh, an interesting phrasing here. They say best color, not favorite color, but best color. I think the best color is red. My favorite color is orange. I think if you look at the, 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 the way the emotions that colors give you red, red is provocative. Red is like danger, signs of danger, signs of, it's the color of fire. You know, uh, I think it's a little bit more the temperature is a little bit higher of that color. I think that the most calming color is blue. That is true. If you talk to any second grader, male second grader, they're all going to say their favorite color is blue. I think it's a fan favorite. It's 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 certainly the most calming color. I think it looks the best. It's obviously KU's colors. I think yeah, I think blue takes it by far. That's not a bad answer. A favorite dinosaur? <sighs> Tyrannosaurus Rex. Does Plesiosaurus count? I don't know what Wa- that is. Water dinosaur? No one's yeah, here to, I think it counts. No one's here to stop me. Yeah, and you say it's good. So, yeah, I'm going to say that. Please, source. Uh, what's the best kind of pasta shape? Last one from Sean. Man, it, it depends on the sauce. I think if you have a thicker sauce, maybe like a fettuccine Alfredo. I, I really love... I really love fettuccine. I think it's a great pasta. It's it's very it, just the shape of it's it's great for different types of sauces. I think probably the worst is like a rigatoni when you have those pasta noodles that were just hollow in the middle and the sauce falls through it. It doesn't absorb as much of the sauce. Um, I think bow ties are really underrated answer as well. Bow ties um, are just, just really, really fun. solid full full bite of pasta, especially al, di- uh, al dente or how do you, how do you say it uh, al dente. Al dente, sorry, I'm not Italian. Um, especially that type of pasta, but uh, I think I think I'd go with fettuccine or fettuccine being my favorite. I think it's a solid answer. I think it's bow tie for me. I think that's I think that's my favorite. I need to have it more. Uh, if the 2015 0 and 12 David Beatty football Jayhawks had prime NFL Patrick Mahomes, this is from at KU tweets and news by the way. If that 0 and 12 Kansas team in football had prime NFL Patrick Mahomes, what would their record be? What was their 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 under uh, winless? Yeah, so it was the winless say, David Beatty team. Oh, 
man, Patrick Patrick Mahomes in his prime is probably worth like what four or five wins minimum. Now in basketball, we have this conversation. It's like, what if Luca played for the Owen eighteen Iowa That's State? Not team? Fair though, but basketball yeah, it's, it's five so, it's, players. It's Football's way different. Fifty three man roster. Yeah, you're fielding twenty two players on offense and defense. Exactly. I think that team goes like five and seven. I think five's the right answer. Because they're going to win the non-conference games. They're going to win the bad conference games with Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes can only do so much with that roster because that roster was was so bad. That was a pretty bad roster. Uh, And that team still did not stop anybody. It would just be like, it would be him on Texas Tech again, but with worse weapons and a worse defense. 70 to 63 games. That's true. The kickers would be tired on the sidelines. (laughs) Um. At KU Tweets and News also says, rank these McDonald's, Burger King, Subway, Taco Bell, Wendy's. McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell, Wendy's. Uh, and um, Subway. I think Burger King is the worst. Agreed. Not not just because of the ad, just the food's trash. Um, Subway is really, really mediocre nowadays. And yep. also, if, you, if you've been to Subway in the past year, it's like $14 for a sub, a drink, and cookies. That's absurd to me for a, san- a sub sandwich to be that much money. So Subway's probably the second worst out of those. Agreed. I mean, if you're getting down to Taco Bell, Taco Bell's, I mean, I call, I'm a college student, so Taco Bell's probably up there. Um, you know, who doesn't like, who doesn't like the opportunity to get, you know, a nice meaty uh, queso or cho- uh, nacho cheese covered, you know, who doesn't like to pay $10 for diarrhea. That's the Taco Bell slogan. <laughs> I mean, if you look at it that way, so are you going to have them lower? No, I, I I've only had actually Taco Bell like a handful of times ever, but I've enjoyed it every time. Yeah, see, I, I'm kind of I'm coming to cut right now because I'm trying to change my diet for I don't know just because I'm working out more. So I haven't eaten fast food a lot. So really take my answers with a grain of salt. But I would probably put uh, Wendy's just below McDonald's. Probably Taco Bell first, McDonald's, Wendy's, Subway, and then put Burger King way down at the bottom. If you conclude there are horrible, horrible, horrible TV ads. Burger King should be closed down by the health department. I think we agree on the bottom three. I would just have McDonald's one, Taco Bell two, Wendy's, Subway, Burger King. Acceptable. McDonald's is the goat and will always be the goat. Uh, from at Rock Chuck, AJ, what rule would you take from the XFL to the NFL? Man, I don't know any of the XFL rules. You're going to have to answer this one because um, I have not been watching. The kickoff I would take. Give me that kickoff. It's fun. It keeps the kickoff in the game, which is cool. Nick, do you know the XFL kickoff at all? What is the kickoff rule? So in the XFL, um, you kick off. I'm pretty sure it's still from like the 35, but the kicker basically just stands alone, and then the most of everyone else on the field, the other 20 players, um, they stand like five yards apart at like the 40 to like the 45, and then the returner is all the way back, and that's and then that's it. So it's supposed to like lessen high speed collisions and increase big plays, and it, for the most part, it does do that, and it's actually quite fun. I think if I had to pick one, that's the one I would take. That's a good addition. Then uh, also from at Rock Chalk AJ, which of the other two podcast hosts would be more likely to come pick you up when you are too drunk to drive? I don't think any of us are super likely to get drunk considering. <laughs> Yeah, that I don't, Nick I don't and I are fairly religious, and Ryan doesn't drink for health reasons. Um, well, yeah, Ryan doesn't drink for health reasons. Landon and I, Landon picks up a beer every once in a while. I don't drink anymore. So, That's true, yeah, you don't. Yeah, really not that. It'd be us picking up who's most likely to pick someone else up that's drunk. Uh, I think all three of us are pretty charitable in that regard, so 
I'd say all three of those. Sure. Really, really, that answer was, I'm sure they asked that question thinking that was going to be a really fun question, and it wasn't. We shot that down in like eight (laughs) seconds. I'm sorry, but that's the honest truth. All right, Cam, at Golf. You, we said no basketball questions, and this is one that I'm going to answer, but you didn't really understand the assignment. Uh, who do we trust least in March? Rick Barnes, Matt Painter, Bill Self against the Pac-12. And it's the last one, right? Yeah, it's the last one. Definitely the last one. And, and the other two we don't trust at all, but Bill Self against the Pac-12 is terrible. Uh, a couple from at Matt underscore Galantine. Can we have an RCB meet and greet? I'd be... I'd be down with that. That's fine. That would be uh, really fun. I don't know if I want to meet some of you guys in in person because you're <laughs> listening to this, choosing to listen to this show in your free time. I definitely uh, want to meet joking. AJ. I want to meet Cam, and I want to meet Matt for sure. Um, yeah, those, I'd like to meet uh, at Dick underscore Taser um, because you just what an arc that guy's had. I want to shake Wanker's hand. Um, Naming names is terrible because you don't name some names, and then people feel left out. I would be super down to meet whoever would want to meet us if. Anyone would yeah. be interested in that remotely, which I don't get why you would be. But I, I that would be that'd fun. Be fun. Uh, what is coming up? I think we've decided that one of these tournament shows we're going to do it uh, video wise. You're going to get to see us put a face to our uh, voices. Hopefully, maybe we'll do that. Uh, kind of an exciting thing to look forward to. But I mean, if that's probably the closest, at least scheduled thing you're gonna you're gonna see us. Um, so yeah. And then also from Matt. Who among the three of you would be best at gymnastics? The bar is very low, no pun intended. So I think Ryan maybe because he's the short. lightest weight. Yeah, Ryan's the lightest weight. His sister, his his mother is a gymnastics coach. That is true. His sister is a college gymnast. I'm going to go with Ryan. Yeah, Ryan would definitely have the most access to coaching. That's for sure. His resources are easily the highest. I don't know if I could. You could. Put, I. I don't know if you could put me on a mat and try to do flips. No, that wouldn't um, go particularly well for me either. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll say Ryan. Uh, from at Dick underscore Taser on a scale of three to eight, how much better slash less whiny would this show be without Ryan there to complain about the ref slash Coach K slash Fran? Just kidding. We love you, Ryan. But seriously. I think this show has been an indicator of that. I don't think there's been too much whining on this show. If you like slightly more, more dull positivity, yeah. If you like a slightly more dull version of ITP, then uh, then yeah, yeah it'd be it's, great. The show's think, more but. eclectic with Ryan, but it's also a little bit more reactionary. But that's just what you've come to expect with right. Rock but that's Ball. part of the fun at this point, right? No, Ryan. Ryan's a great host. Um, but it would be a seven better for sure. Uh, one for you, Nick, for sure. From at Alert Casey, another guy I'd like to meet. Um, rank these three: Elevation Worship, Bethel, or Hillsong. Uh, the the Heresy Hunters are gonna come after me <laughs> for supporting any of these worship bands. <laughs> but I I actually really love Elevation's worship ministry. Um, you know, you could say what you want about Stephen Furtick's theology. Uh, certainly questionable to me, but I think particularly Elevation Worship always in my rotation. I'm always listening to it in the car wherever I go. I really love the worship music they've put out. And I think it's a genre that really, since they've started making music since like 2014, that they've really elevated the, the what worship music looks like. It's a little bit less, you know, boring. And they've, they've changed the genre to where there's different types of music being incorporated, like rock and, and other types of, of musical elements. So I think Elevation Worship would be my one for sure. Um, Hillsong, 
I like that Hillsong has some versatile bands. United's a great band. Hillsong Young and Free, I grew up listening to, have a vinyl record of them on oh, the nice. wall. I probably put them at two. Bethel, you want to talk about Harris? I say you want to talk about uh, off the uh, reservation. I don't think that I can even rank Bethel with uh, their uh, their leadership. Uh, so, uh, for context, yeah, if you ex- if you don't know, uh, just one thing they did to try to get rid of was it COVID or racism to try to end one of those two things. I can't remember which one it was. Um, they reenacted the scene from Lord of the Rings where Gandalf says, uh, "You shall not pass." They did that on on stage at a church during service with a staff. That's not even the worst thing they've done. No, it's not. Um, but that's just, just one of go the weirdest read things about they've done. Their, uh, what their uh, yeah they do there. So I'm not going to get too deep into theology, but I'm, I appreciate the question about uh, Christian music because I never get to talk about it with anyone so, uh, except Lennon. I, I I don't listen to too much, but I would agree with your ranking, Nick. Um, Elevation Hillsong and Bethel for uh, other reasons because their music is usually decent but I can't I cannot rank them higher than last uh from at Alex Fisher KU uh cornhole darts pool or bowling pick one man uh bowling bowling's just like a great activity to go out and do with friends you know you if you're in a bar like because I don't drink and I go out with friends every once in a while in the NBA program just to hang out uh uh you know playing pool is, is fun uh, to do there, but uh, you know, I would probably rank. What was the first one you said? Cornhole. Uh, cornhole's uh, cornhole's probably my I least favorite. I love cornhole. I still, it's it's all right, you know. It's it's a good tailgating game, but I would probably say bowling one. Uh, actually, put cornhole at two, and then three is going to be pool. So, uh, and then last one, man. We just had the the, the question about Christian worship music, and then we're going to ask this to end it. From at Todd, 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 or something like that. It's Todd, Todd, and then a lot of Ds. Is the rectum a black hole, and is the anus the event horizon? Rock chalk. Yes. I'm not answering that one. <laughs> yes, Todd. I think it is. And that, I like the question a lot. Uh, that's it. Hey, guess what, Landon? I actually enjoyed Ask RCB this time. Wow. People aren't asking if, when people aren't asking us if we think Rodney Terry should be make, <laughs> make the head coach at Texas, I really enjoyed this segment. Shocker. Uh, who would you um, most like to see as KU's eight seed? I'm not, I'm not mocking anyone in particular, just in general. Just in general. If LeBron James is on a roster of four tying Grant Fosters, <laughs> would Kansas win, go 40 and 0 that season? Hey, we appreciate Ryan, that you like the show enough to ask us these questions. We're more than happy to answer them, but we... But I, I just think we should go this full-time. I think I think that the non-basketball questions really spice this show up. I'd I don't be think down. people really care to know if we think our interim coach should be the head coach at Texas anyways. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that was a good... That was one of the best segments we've had ever this of this segment. Oh, and it ends on a sentence that says this is the best segment we've had this segment. If you want to ask any Ask RCBs, especially random crap nonsense Ask RCBs, uh, respond to the tweet where we ask for said Ask RCBs. Honestly, Ryan might be editing in the air horn noise. I've also just been yelling air horn a couple of times. Those might have been left in, so enjoy. Time for a preview and potentially a Big 12 title winning preview for the Jayhawks, at least a share of. Texas Tech at uh, currently number three, Kansas, Tuesday, February 28th at 8 o'clock. Let's see what they can do. They have a chance to lock up the Big 12. 
I think they're going to have a pretty good shot to do it. But let's talk about the Red Raiders. They are 16-13 and 13 overall, 5-11 and 11 in conference play. They are squarely on the bubble, entering the end of the season, thanks to four consecutive Big 12 wins before their tough loss to TCU on Saturday. The backcourt for Texas Tech is led by Davion Harmon, who averages nearly 14 points a night. Harmon doesn't shoot threes or free throws well, but that certainly isn't a problem for Pop Isaacs. Isaacs leads the Red Raiders in three-point makes and attempts while being third in percentage. He also shoots 87% from the stripe. Jalen Tyson and Kerwin Walton both shoot over 40% behind the arc on less volume than Isaacs, but not no volume. They will let it fly if they get the opportunity. As a team, Texas Tech shoots 35% from three, which is 157th nationally. Very middle of the pack. Texas Tech is an okay defensive team. They allow teams to shoot just 42% from the field, 32% from three, and a nice 69% points per, 69 points per game. Sorry, <laughs> misplaced percentage uh, Good mark. for 61st in Ken Palm. They do everything slightly better than they get than they let their opponents. They're 47% from the field, 35 from three. They score 74 points per game, and uh, they're 61st in Ken Palm currently. Uh, their front court is led by Kevin O'Banner, uh, the former. Oral Roberts guy who scores nearly 15 points a night and grabs six and a half boards. We've seen O'Banner play a lot of Big 12 basketball at this point. We know what we're getting from him. However, someone we're not so sure about is highly touted transfer Fardaz Amak. He has only played in eight games with six starts this season due to injury. He is averaging 12 points per game, including back-to-back 19-point outings uh, against Oklahoma and TCU. Uh, we would imagine Kevin McCuller would be drawing the assignment of defending him. Yeah, that one's going to be really interesting with Amac back for the Red Raiders. Certainly a guy that they thought could be their leading scorer, could be their go-to guy this season. Hasn't gotten the chance to be that all this year, but is back now. Is starting, is playing well, having back-to-back 19-point games, like you said. That's going to be interesting for Texas Tech to have a guy that has has a chance to be a really, really big weapon for that team. Um, potentially one of the better offensive players in the Big 12 that we just haven't seen yet. Um, I don't know if he can be that guy consistently. Um, you know, Oklahoma and even TCU are a lot different than Kansas in Allen Fieldhouse, so he's going to get his chance, that's for sure. Um, but we'll see. Texas Tech, they are 7-42 and against Kansas all-time, including three straight losses. 1-21 and all-time in Allen Fieldhouse. The only win came in 2018 when the Red, with the Red Raiders walking away with a 12-point victory, 85-73 on that day. Nick, like I said up top of the preview here, Kansas, they're going to have a chance to win the Big 12, get a share of the Big 12 for sure with a win here at home. Do you think they're going to get it? Yeah, uh, I uh, I think that they're going, like I said earlier in this show, I think Ryan said that one of these two games was going to be close. One of these two games was going to be not so close. I think Kansas on senior night gets a not so close win. Uh, against Texas Tech. This is a Texas Tech team who, remember guys, started 0-10 in conference play. Dude, a lot of that was just bad luck. But at the same time, five-game winning streak, just lost. I think that the, the downward trend continues for Tech. I don't think they make the tournament. I think they fall back down to earth to end the season. I think Kansas just does everything better than they do. It was a close game in Lubbock. Don't think it'll be the same result this time. I think that Kansas has much improved from their last win against Texas Tech. Should have won by more than two points in that game as well. I just think that they do a lot of things better offensively in transition. I don't think Texas Tech is going to be able to keep up with this team offensively. And they've been having to play from behind a lot. 
their their game against TCU. They had to come back. So if Kansas puts them away early and and keeps the foot on the gas, I think they're going to win this game, seventy-seven to sixty-four. Yeah, I think Kansas is also going to win this game and clinch a Big Twelve title, but. Um, I do think this is going to be a close game for a while. I think you see a kind of signature Kansas run uh, in the second half to distance themselves. Um, it's going to be, I, th- I think they're going to have those moments, those senior night moments, those Big 12 clinching moments in this game. So give me the Hawks to win 77, let's say 63. I think they win by 14 in the end. Um, but a game that's a lot closer than that for a lot of the game time. Um, but Kansas does get the dub at the end of it. Yeah, Ryan agrees as well. He wants the Jayhawks. His official score prediction that he texted was uh, Jayhawks 420, Red Raiders 69. I don't know what he means by either of those numbers. Kind of an absurd score if you ask me. Uh, He wants the Hawks. Uh, Let's go on to Big 12 games. Number 9, Baylor at Oklahoma State on Big Monday. Nick, who do you want? I uh, like the uh, Bears after their win. I think this is a sneaky upset pick if you like the Angles and Oklahoma State desperately needing a win. But I just think, especially with the condition of Keontae George, don't know where that's at, but I'm going to pick the Bears to win in Stillwater. Yeah, Ryan does as well. I am going to take that upset pick, though. I'm going to take the Cowboys to get an upset win at home, take down Baylor. Uh, West Virginia at Iowa State, also on Big Monday. Not quite as big as number 9 Baylor. Um, which of these two teams do you think is going to get it, Nick? I think West Virginia is going to take one on the road. I, I think that this team is desperate for a win. Uh, I think they have uh, certainly better than the other teams in the same position as them in this conference with 13 losses. Iowa State is completely off the rails bad at this point. I could see the angle of them getting back off the Schneid at home, but I'm going to pick the Mountaineers. Interesting. I'm going to take the Cyclones here, and Ryan agrees with me. Iowa State. Oklahoma at number 14, K-State, Wednesday, 7 o'clock. I like the Wildcats here to take down the Sooners. I I assume we're all on K-State. So do I. Yeah, Ryan is as well. Number 8, Texas at number 24, TCU. Big game for Texas. Does Kansas get get the Big 12 outright uh, a couple days early? I think so. I think TCU is going to win at home. They they need a win, too, to, to cement their position in March Madness. I think they're better than they've been lately, and I think that they get a win against a Texas team who's due to take back-to-back L's. Uh, Ryan and I agree. I think TCU does get that win. And then other games, North Carolina State at Duke. You know, Nick, uh, John Shire is the first coach to have, like, 21 wins in his first season at Duke. Did oh, you know wow. that? And before Coach K, they played 22-game seasons. Good job for him. Uh, I am going to pick the Blue Devils to beat North Carolina State, though. I am not. Give me the Wolfpack. Ryan wants Duke, though. Uh, Number 22, San Diego State at Boise State. Uh, I am going to take the Broncos here at home. Give me the Aztecs. Ryan agrees there. Number 16, he agrees with Nick, that is. Uh, Number 16, Xavier at number 20, Providence in a big battle in the Big East. I'm going to take the Friars. So am I. Ryan is going to take Xavier. In that one. Uh, number five, Purdue trying to bounce back at Wisconsin. That's Thursday. I do think the Boilermakers bounce back. Yeah, they're not going to lose them all. Yeah, Ryan wants Purdue as well. And the last one here, number seven, Arizona at USC. Give me the Trojans to give Arizona their second straight loss. I'll take Arizona. And Ryan wants the Wildcats as well. Well, Nick, we did it. 
We did a show. Yeah, did a we show about Ryan. Ryan has been, if you guys aren't aware by now, you certainly are aware. Ryan has been on 404 out of 407 shows. That is 99.26% of all of the shows in this podcast's run. So when he misses the show, it's certainly a memorable moment. I hosted one by myself before. Landon and I did a two-person one uh, before, too, as well. Uh, Landon, it was good to do this podcast uh, together without Ryan here. I think we should just start our own podcast and leave this one. And, uh, yeah, I think that, that uh, we flow and our chemistry is much better without that other annoying co-host who doesn't pay us for our time on this show. Yeah, that guy yells a lot. Uh, he says very weird random things. Hits the soundboard too much and makes stupid sounders, make us look like children. Um, he's 28 <laughs> a, a years old, for, for and his entire, <laughs> his entire free time is, is derived from his enjoyment out of doing this podcast, so... Yeah, what a what a weirdo! Actually, we definitely could do a better podcast without Ryan. That's a hundred percent true. We don't. I don't think we owe anything to him. Actually, he didn't. He didn't give us anything. I don't think. That's a good. You're putting ideas in my head. Maybe we could do a nice little podcast on theology and and uh, Christian life and and just our top our our ideas on modern culture. That would get at least as anyone, much Twitter interaction. Had I don't think anyone's gonna that listens to this current show would care about that demographic. But no, I think um, I think three listeners would would transfer over. <laughs> Three is enough for me. If anyone's listening to what I have to say, that's a that's a miracle. Well, you have been listening to the Inside the Paint podcast. I am Landon Fields. And I am Nick Wipert. For Ryan Landreth, we had a great time. Uh, let us know if you just want to kick Ryan off the show sometimes. I think, uh, I think he would actually be really sad. If that were the case, and he would probably go crazy in his house, because I I don't I don't know what else cats. he does other than his cats, and he hangs out he with his wife he doesn't and do his watches cats, sports. But... He does not do his cats. <laughs> Thank to to our knowledge, to our knowledge, he does not do his cats. Oh my gosh! What Bye, a way to end the show. Bye, man. Thanks.